Hello, everyone, and welcome to Live Through Jesus with Courtney Gilmore. Today, we'll be talking about Jacob stealing Esau's blessing in Genesis 27, and a little bit about whether the ends justifies the means. We'll also talk about negative consequences as our only deterrent for doing what is right, and then just deception and lies in general. Now, just as a quick side note, I'll be reading all the scripture references for you, so you're free to just sit back, listen, and absorb, or you can grab your Bible and read along. Most of the time, I'll be reading from the New King James Version, but if I switch, I'll let you know. At the beginning of each episode, I'll introduce the title, so if you want the entire study in writing, you can go to livethroughjesus.com and buy it for under $5. Each one will cover two to three months' worth of episodes, and once you buy, then it'll be immediately available for download. In addition to a little extra studying, it also allows you the benefit of some charts and keyword definitions, but it isn't necessary. Okay, so let's get started. Last episode, we talked about Isaac lying to Abimelech about Rebekah and the consequences of that. And so if you happen to miss that episode, you might want to go back and listen because we talked about lying and deception, obviously, and then also peace and how God uses open and closed doors to lead us and guide us in the direction that he wants for us to go. Now, also, if you happen to miss the episode before that, you're going to want to go back and listen. That's episode 25, because in episode 25, we talked about Jacob and Esau and how different these two brothers were, and then also how Jacob stole Esau's birthright. And that's going to lead right into what we talk about today. So it just might be good for you to listen to that one if you haven't already. Now, before we begin reading in Genesis 27, I'm going to read the last couple of verses in 26 because it tells just a little bit more about Esau. So let's begin reading in verse 34. When Esau was 40 years old, he took as wives Judith, the daughter of Barai, the Hittite, and Basemath, the daughter of Elon, the Hittite. And they were a grief of mind to Isaac and Rebekah. So when Esau was 40, then Isaac was 100 years old. And so it says that when he was 40 years old, he took two Hittite women to be his wives. Now, if you remember, the Hittites are the people that Abraham bought the burial plot from for his wife, Sarah. And so this is the people that they were living around. And they had been very friendly to Abraham. Abraham had a good reputation with them, but they still were not believers in the Lord. And so it says here that they were a grief of mind to Isaac and Rebekah. And anyone that doesn't believe in God, when they are married to someone that does believe, it makes things difficult. And so that's kind of how we start out here. And that's going to be important specifically next lesson. So you'll just want to keep that in mind. Now, let's go ahead and read the first 10 verses of Genesis 27. It says, Now it came to pass when Isaac was old and his eyes were so dim that he couldn't see, that he called Esau his older son and said, My son. And Esau answered him and said, Here I am. And then he said, Behold now, I am old. I don't know the day of my death. Now therefore, please take your weapons, your quiver, and your bow, and go out to the field and hunt game for me. And make me savory food, such as I love, and bring it to me that I may eat. 
that my soul may bless you before I die. Now Rebekah was listening when Isaac spoke to Esau, his son, and Esau went to the field to hunt game and to bring it. So Rebekah spoke to Jacob, her son, saying, Indeed, I heard your father speak to Esau, your brother, saying, Bring me game and make savory food for me, that I may eat it and bless you in the presence of the Lord before my death. Now therefore, my son, obey my voice according to what I command you. Go now to the flock and bring me from there two choice kids of goats, and I will make savory food from them for your father, such as he loves. Then you shall take it to your father, that he may eat it and that he may bless you before his death. Okay, so Isaac was probably around 137 years old around this time, and he doesn't know how long he's going to live. He already is losing his eyesight, and apparently sounds as if he's just kind of laying in bed, and so he doesn't know how much longer he's going to live, and he wants to bless his son. Now, he actually ends up living to be 180 years old, so he lives over 40 more years, but again, he just doesn't know how long that's going to be. And so, traditionally, the oldest son receives the birthright and the blessing. And remember that, as I said before, in episode 25, the first lesson of this study, Esau gave his birthright away to Jacob because he was desperate for food. And he apparently had no ability to think beyond that very moment. But Isaac still intends to give him the blessing. So he's given away his birthright, but Isaac intends to give the blessing still to him. So that brings us to a debate as to whether his intentions were justified or if just because Esau was his favorite, then he wasn't taking everything into account that he should have. Because some would say Esau doesn't deserve the blessing since he gave his birthright away and that, you know, the birthright and the blessing generally go to the same person. Others would say, yeah, he gave that one away, but also the blessing normally goes to the firstborn son, so he would still have a right to that. Then another thing is that he had married the Hittite women, and so how God had been so adamant about Abraham going to the land where he came from to get Rebekah for him as his wife, he should have known that God also wanted godly women to be the wives for his sons. And so some would say he was kind of disqualified to receive the blessing because he had foreign wives. But the biggest thing would be that if you'll remember back in Genesis 25, whenever Rebecca's pregnant and she goes to the Lord and asks what in the world is going on with her pregnancy, God tells her that she has two sons within her and that one will be stronger than the other and the older will serve the younger. And so God told Rebecca before they were even born that the older would serve the younger. And so that should mean that the blessing, according to the way God wanted it, would need to go to Jacob. That it was never God's plan for Esau to receive it and that Rebecca was only trying to carry out God's plan whenever she deceives her husband because her husband was not doing God's will. And so she was trying to force that to happen, basically. And so here's what I'm going to say about that. No matter what you believe, no matter if you believe that Isaac should or should not have given this blessing to Esau in the first place, we know that Rebecca went about it wrong because God doesn't sin and he doesn't accomplish his plans through sin. He doesn't cause us to sin for any reason. Listen to what it says in James 1, 13 through 15. 
Let no one say when he is tempted, I'm tempted by God. For God can't be tempted by evil, nor does he himself tempt anyone. But each one is tempted when he's drawn away by his own desires and enticed. Then, when desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin, and sin, when it's full grown, brings forth death. So God doesn't tempt us to sin. God is fair and righteous and true. And he doesn't use injustice and deceit to achieve his will. That's not going to happen. Listen to Revelation 15:3. Just as a little confirmation of who God is. It says, "They sing the song of Moses, the servant of God, and the song of the lamb, saying, Great and marvelous are your works, Lord God Almighty. Just and true are your ways, O King of the saints." So God's ways are fair and God's ways are true. So if she was doing it God's way, if she was trying to accomplish God's plan, then she would have done it God's way. And God's ways are fair and they are true. God's way would not be accomplished through a lie. Listen also to Deuteronomy 32.4. This tells us even more who God is. He is the rock. His work is perfect. For all his ways are justice, a God of truth and without injustice. Righteous and upright is he. So again, this tells us that his ways are just. And then not only does it say his ways are just, which means fair, they're fair, but it says he's a God of truth and he's without injustice. That means he can't do, he literally can't do anything that is unfair. Therefore, if she was following God's way, then she wouldn't do something that is unfair to the other son. She wouldn't do something that is unfair to her husband. She would not ask her son to do something that's unfair. God's ways are not going to be accomplished by that. This is kind of an ends justifies the means philosophy, right? As long as our desire is for something good, then it doesn't matter how we get to it. That's wrong. That's not how God works. So even if she believed that she was right and her husband was wrong, then we know there was a different way than deceiving her husband, cheating her son out of something that he believed was his right. We have to be careful of this mindset because it's easy for us to think, well, I'm right. And so if I'm right, and I believe not only am I right, but I'm right according to the Lord, that I can do whatever I need to do to get to that right end. But God is never going to call us to do something that's wrong in order to accomplish something that's right. He's just never going to do that. That's the whole two wrongs don't make a right thing, right? If she believed, and even if she was correct in thinking that her husband was wrong, then it wouldn't be okay for her to then also do something wrong in order to fix his wrong. It doesn't work that way. Her wrong, in addition to his wrong, is not going to make this situation right. That's not how it works. And I would just say, this is really a caution to us wives, maybe to men too. I don't know how a man's mind thinks. But I know as a wife, this is something that's difficult for me. And you know, the curse that God gave to Eve, it says your desire will be for your husband, but he will rule over you. And so I think that this is a difficult thing for most women where my desire is to rule over him. My desire is for what his role is. And so I desire to be right. I desire to make him do what I believe is right. 
And sometimes we just get in our minds that we need to make this happen. And so instead of talking with the Lord, asking for God to, you know, bring his will about, we decide we're going to make it happen in our own way. And that's just never going to be okay with God. So we have to be really careful about pushing our own way, especially if we use the wrong means to accomplish that. And I do just have to say that no matter who was wrong initially, I think it's pretty fair to say that both of them were biased and they probably weren't thinking about what God wanted anyway, neither one of them. And if they were, they definitely weren't thinking solely about what God wanted. They definitely had their own thoughts and desires in their hearts when they were both making the decisions that they made. Because remember that Esau was Isaac's favorite and Jacob was Rebecca's favorite. And so they were both working off of their own biases, even if they were also thinking about what God wanted, which we aren't really sure if that even happened at all. So anyway, that's the first thing to note is that God's ways are fair and he never asks us to accomplish his ways by doing something that's wrong. Okay, so let's go ahead and move on and see what Jacob's response is to his mother whenever she asks him to do this. Beginning in verse 11. And Jacob said to Rebekah, his mother, Look, Esau, my brother, is a very hairy man, and I am smooth-skinned. Perhaps my father will feel me, and I shall seem to be a deceiver to him. And I shall bring a curse on myself and not a blessing. But his mother said to him, Let your curse be on me, my son. Only obey my voice and go and get them for me. And so he went and got them and brought them to his mother. And his mother made savory food, such as his father loved. Then Rebekah took the choice clothes of her elder son Esau, which were with her in the house, and put them on Jacob, her youngest son. And she put the skins of the kids of the goats on his hands and on the smooth part of his neck. And then she gave the savory food and the bread which she had prepared into the hand of her son Jacob. So I want you to notice very first off, what is Jacob's response? What if this goes wrong? What if I'm found out? What if I get caught? That's his first thought. What if I get caught? Then this is going to go bad for me. His concern is completely for himself, right? There's no mention of, hey, that's not right. That's unfair to my brother. That's lying to my father. He talks about lying to his father, but he says, what if my father feels as though I'm lying to him and then he punishes me instead? But it's not like it's just wrong to deceive my father. It's more like if my father realizes that I deceive him and then decides to punish me, I don't want that, right? So this is just a complete lack of integrity, right? Because he's not concerned for right and wrong. He's only concerned for himself and what the possible consequences could be for himself. But you know, even if we don't get caught with something, God still sees us, right? We're still doing it. We're still hurting others, all of those things. And so that shouldn't be our primary concern. Punishment can definitely be a deterrent, but it shouldn't be our only ones, especially as mature adults. Because here's the thing. Punishments are used for people that can't understand reason and don't desire to do the right thing otherwise. 
We use punishment for children because they have no concept of right and wrong and understanding consequences of their actions upon others or long-term consequences for themselves. And so we give them immediate consequences of punishment because there's no other way for them to understand what the consequence could be further down the road. But as we grow and mature, the hope as a parent is that the consequences begin to be less and less because your children begin to mature and they begin to see right and wrong and know right and wrong and care about doing what is right And they also have ability to see beyond the moment. And so they can think through things in a much better way and they can see the future, all of those kinds of things. And so as we mature, we should just do what's right because it's right and not do what is wrong because it's wrong, because we care about other people's feelings, because we know there's a reason for that being right and a reason for that being wrong. And the only real reason for A punishment is someone that can't comprehend that, someone that doesn't care about those types of consequences because they're not thinking about other people. They're only thinking about themselves. If a person is only thinking about themselves, then they need a consequence that hurts them, right? But if they have ability to think, oh, this is just wrong because it hurts another person or whatever, then then they don't need that consequence because they're able to think that through. So we always want to be growing. We always want to be maturing and capable of seeing things, reasoning things out, trusting that God is giving us the rules that he's giving us for our good and his glory and caring to do what's right because it's right. That's also part of spiritual maturity because even if you don't get caught, you care about what God thinks. You care about doing what he desires for you to do and not everything being about yourself. I'm sure that all of us are guilty of that at some time, but the older we get and the more we grow in the Lord, the better we should be at just doing what is right because it's right and not because we're afraid of the consequence if we don't. Now, the next thing that I want us to look at in this passage is What great links Rebecca goes to in order to make sure that Jacob seems to be Esau. She gets his clothes, Esau's clothes, and puts them on Jacob so that he will smell like Esau. And then she gets the goat skins and puts them on Jacob's skin so that when Isaac feels Jacob, he will feel like Esau also. Now, just as a side note, how hairy must Esau be that Jacob would feel like Esau if he had this goat skin on his body? Like, that's a pretty hairy guy. But anyway, that's beside the point. So she goes to great lengths to make her son smell and feel like his brother Esau. And she tells him, hey, you know, I'll take the punishment on myself if there is a punishment, but you just do this. And that's all that he was concerned about. You can tell. Because again, as soon as she said, hey, I'll take the punishment on myself, he's like, all right, fine by me. You know, he is not concerned about right and wrong, only getting caught. Okay, so let's read what happens whenever he goes in and sees his father. Beginning in verse 18. So he went to his father and said, my father. And Isaac said, here I am. Who are you, my son? And Jacob said to his father, I am Esau, your firstborn. I've done just as you told me. Please arise, sit, and eat of my game. 
that your soul may bless me. But Isaac said to his son, How is it that you found it so quickly, my son? And he said, Because the Lord your God has brought it to me. Isaac said to Jacob, Please come near that I may feel you, my son, whether you are really my son Esau or not. So Jacob went near to Isaac his father, and he felt him and said, The voice is Jacob's voice, but the hands are the hands of Esau. And he didn't recognize him because his hands were hairy like his brother Esau's hands, so he blessed him. Then he said, Are you really my son Esau? And Jacob said, I am. And he said, Bring it near to me, and I will eat of my son's game, so that my soul may bless you. So he brought it near to him, and he ate, and he brought him wine, and he drank. Then his father Isaac said to him, Come near now, and kiss me, my son. And he came near and kissed him, and he smelled the smell of his clothing, and he blessed him and said, Surely the smell of my son is like the smell of a field, which the Lord is blessed. Therefore, may God give you of the dew of heaven, of the fatness of the earth, and plenty of grain and wine. Let people serve you, and nations bow down to you. Be master over your brethren, and let your mother's sons bow down to you. Cursed be everyone that curses you, and blessed be those that bless you. So, obviously I know that Jacob went in there to lie to his dad, but the extent that he was willing to go, the endurance that he had is amazing to me. I mean, seriously. I I don't know how you can carry through like that. I just really don't. And the very first thing he says, he says, how did you get it so quickly? And what is it that he says? It's just stunning to me. Listen, verse 20. How is it that you have found it so quickly, my son? And Jacob said, because the Lord your God brought it to me. That's absolutely terrifying. Like that lie to use God in your lie. The only reason that God allowed that to happen is because it was in his will that Jacob be the one that received the blessing in the first place. That's just the only reason. And it just shows the extreme grace that God has for his people. You know, how much he favored Jacob how much he cared about him, how willing he was to show mercy and not give him what he justly deserved and instead give him grace on top of that, allowing him to receive goodness whenever he deserved something bad. That is insane to me. That shows how much God cared about his people and how committed he was to keeping his word and his promise to Abraham and Isaac. Because again, I just can't imagine using God to verify my lie. That's crazy. And even though, you know, God did not endorse the way that Jacob was going about this, as we talked about before, he had told Rebecca that he intended for the normal tradition of the birthright to be flipped. And so apparently that's why he allowed it. But this is definitely scary and certainly not a good idea. And you notice he just keeps on lying because Isaac's not convinced. He, he keeps asking him over and over again. You know, he's definitely not understanding what's going on, but Jacob continues to lie over and over. Sure, I'll let you smell me. Sure, I will let you touch me. And then at the very end, he asks him again. He's like, are you really my son Esau? And he's like, yeah, I am. I mean, uh, that's crazy. So Isaac, after he's asked him several times, he finally just goes against his own instincts and accepts the lie because he doesn't feel like he has any other choice, you know? And that just makes me think about us, you know, whenever we just feel like something's off, we just feel like something's not right. 
You know, obviously our instincts aren't always right. Sometimes we want to believe something and so we do. Or sometimes we just misjudge the situation. I mean, our instincts are definitely not always right. And in this case, his instincts were right, but he dug into it just about as much as he could, you know, without just being incredibly insulting. I mean, he asked every single question and nothing seemed to give validity to what he seemed to instinctively know. And I don't know if y'all have ever done that. I don't know if you've ever been in a situation where logically, when you reason this out, it doesn't make sense why you're feeling the way you're feeling, but you just are, you know, and you keep trying to talk yourself out of it because you keep selling yourself. I must not know what I'm thinking, what I'm feeling, because, you know, this contradicts it and this contradicts it and this contradicts it. And so you just keep pushing it aside. But I've done that before. And, you know, again, like I said, sometimes our instincts are wrong, but sometimes that's God's warning for us. And so at least if we feel that, we need to at least do what Isaac did and ask several questions and, you know, maybe even go against what those things say if we just still feel very strongly about something just not being right. But we definitely need to ask questions and investigate a little bit further whenever we have that feeling because it could be God warning us, hey, something's wrong. You know, this isn't adding up. Sometimes things just don't add up, but you can't quite put your finger on it. You know, can't quite prove it or whatever. And that's just God. So, you know, again, it isn't always, so we can't always go on that, but at least be aware that that's a possibility. So anyway, regardless in this situation, Isaac goes ahead and blesses Jacob because he believes that he's telling the truth. And notice that his blessing is for fertile land, for rain, for food. He gives him all of those things. And then notice the last part. This is the same as the blessing that God gives to Abraham at the very start. Listen to Genesis 12, 3. God says, I will bless those that bless you and curse those that curse you. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. And so that's what he tells him. He says, let the people serve you and nations bow down to you. Be masters over your brethren and let your mother's sons bow down to you. Cursed be everyone that curses you and blessed be those that bless you. And so this is extending the promises that God gave to Abraham and then Isaac now down to Jacob. So just as God told Abraham, no, the promise won't be fulfilled through Ishmael. Also, the promise wasn't going to be fulfilled through Esau and the traditional oldest son. But instead, it was going to be through Jacob, like he told Rebekah from the beginning. In the very beginning, he said, the older will serve the younger. And so he was handing this promise down to Jacob. Now, again, the fact that this was the blessing that he thought he was giving to Esau, he believed he was telling Esau, your brothers will serve you. And that does directly contradict what God said was going to happen because God told Rebecca before the boys were even born that Esau would serve Jacob. So it does, in a way, give a little bit of validity to the fact that Isaac was going directly against what God said he wanted. And so God has told Rebecca, Esau will serve Jacob. And it's almost as if Isaac is going against that, saying, no, I'm blessing you, Esau, and I'm making sure that Jacob serves you, that you are the head of the family once I'm gone, and that the Abrahamic blessing extends from me to you and not to Jacob. And so it does give a little bit of validity to that fact 
again, I don't know where y'all stand on that. To be honest, I'm not exactly sure where I stand on it. I just keep going back to everybody keeps doing things wrong. You know, I can't really side with anybody because it seems like everybody's handling things in the wrong way. Either way, we know that in God's grace, he made his plan happen. He didn't endorse the way Rebecca and Jacob did it, but it was his intention. And so as opposed to punishing them for what they did, he brought it about. Now, could God have brought his plan about without their lies and schemes and tricks? Yes. And that's the way it should have been. But they chose to take matters in their own hands. And so providing that it was in his plan, he had mercy on them and allowed it to be carried out. Now, I want you to listen to two other places that it talks about this further along in the Bible. The first one is in Romans 9, 10 through 13. It says, When Rebekah also had conceived by one man, even by our father Isaac, for the children not yet being born, nor having done any good or evil, that the purpose of God according to election might stand, not of works, but of him who calls, It was said to her, the older shall serve the younger. As it is written, Jacob I have loved, but Esau I have hated. What shall we say then? Is there unrighteousness with God? Certainly not. For he says to Moses, I will have mercy on whomever I will have mercy, and I will have compassion on whomever I will have compassion. So then it is not of him who wills, nor of him who runs, but of God who shows mercy. And then let's skip down to... Verse 20, it says, But indeed, O man, who are you to reply against God? Will the thing that formed him say to him who formed it, Why have you made me like this? Does not the potter have power over the clay from the same lump to make one vessel for honor and the other for dishonor? And so what this is saying is that when Rebekah was pregnant, before these boys were ever born, before anyone had done anything wrong or anything right, Not because of their works, but because it was God's purpose, because it was his plan, the older served the younger, just because it's his plan for no other reason. And so the reason that they're talking about this is because they're saying, is that not unfair? And it says, no, it's not unfair. He can choose to have mercy on Jacob because he chooses to have mercy on Jacob. That's his right. And the last part where it says, you know, doesn't the potter have power over the clay? He can make it however he so chooses. And so whenever he created these boys, he created Jacob to be the son of promise, just as he created Isaac to be the son of promise, and not Esau or Ishmael. And he has that prerogative because he's the creator. It's his plan from the beginning. So he can carry that plan out through whoever he so chooses. When you make something, you can make it however you want. The created is not in charge of the creator. It's not how it works. And so he chose to have mercy on Jacob whenever he told this lie because he had a plan. And in order for his plan to be fulfilled, he had to have mercy on him. That's just the way it works. So he can choose to have mercy on whoever he chooses to have mercy. Again, we have to remember that God is a just God. He is a fair God. He is a righteous God. He's perfect. The Bible states all of those things. And he has ability to do things in whatever way that he chooses to do them. And just because of his grace and mercy, Rebecca and Jacob got away with this plan. 
Now, we're going to stop right there because if we went into the rest of this chapter, it would be too long of an episode. And so we're going to go ahead and stop there. And then next week, we'll cover what happens whenever Esau comes in and finds all of this out. So make sure that you subscribe so that you don't miss that episode since really this is the first part of two. Also, feel free to leave me comments wherever you're listening or email me, Courtney at LiveThroughJesus.com. Also, if you're enjoying this, leave me a five-star review. That always helps me out. Thanks and have a good day.